Radio Drone. They've come back to haunt you. Nelson Home Entertainment is breathing new life into some deadly videos that will make you shake, quiver, and tremor with terror for the suggested retail price of only $14.98. So enjoy some of these teeth-chattering, nail-biting titles from Nelson Entertainment. At least the price won't scare you. Cursing your video store for not having enough horror titles? Well, grab onto your seats and prepare for Vidmark Entertainment to take you on the dark side with these upcoming chilling titles to fill that horror void. It's another beautiful, wondrous, Brad sexy voice episode of Radiodrome. <laughs> you know, there's. I want. Um, I want. I finally want to comment to be on the site that's like, oh, thank God it's one that Brad's not on. Yeah, well, now that you've said it, it doesn't really hold any water, does it? That That's true. Damn it. <laughs> Can't make your own meme, Brad. Yeah, I know, I know. What was I thinking? You were thinking you were Alex Jowski. Mm. What? Why? What? Huh? I don't have that much suede. <laughs> <laughs> the Marquis de Suede. <laughs> don't take me out in the rain. <laughs> if you are the Marquis de Suede... You could go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME to get three free DVDs, 50% off of a single item, free shipping in the United States, and a free mystery gift, which, who knows, might be something suede. I've already used that joke, but I don't care. <laughs> promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. The three of us are different ages, so it'll be interesting to hear the three different perspectives on tonight's topic, the rise of direct-to-video, and then the eventual fall of direct-to-video, because let's face it, guys, direct-to-video, not really a viable market at this point, is it? My movie did really well. Yeah, but your movie was independent, and this is not an insult. You didn't have to do a whole lot, move a whole lot of units to break even, did you? Uh, for us, certainly, it was the most expensive movie we had done. It wasn't like it wasn't a situation like, oh, sweet, ten people bought it, so we made our money back. No, no, we had to sell quite a bit. Like a Lorenzo Lamas movie. Can't yeah, just get that, thrown out to video and make its budget back nowadays. We, sure, but I mean, a Lorenzo Lamas movie has a lot more distribution than our movie does. And, and ironically and, enough, yours sells more. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, you, you already have a built-in audience of people that were probably going to buy it anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, if I had done something like this, yeah, if I had done this like five years ago or something like that, I... I wouldn't have I wouldn't have made my, my money back on it at all. What do you remember about direct to video? Like when you first noticed, wait a minute, there's these cool movies with name movie stars and decent production values that just never went to the theater. Uh, when I started watching them on cable, because uh, honestly, it was it was rare that I would actually go out and rent a direct to video movie because I had the HBO Cinemax package going up. So all those erotic thrillers of the early 90s like that, which I watched a bunch of, I saw on cable television. I saw on Cinemax. So when I think of a lot of those movies, the term, like, I don't want to say, not TV movie, but like like cable movie or something. Yeah, uh, like I was going to say, so, something like, like direct-to-cable, like what Showtime did with... 
with uh, Psycho 4 and it, it came from Outer Space 2 and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that would pop in my head more than necessarily, like, direct-to-video, even though direct-to-video, yeah, certainly that is an apt description, obviously. But for me, it was always it was always rare that I would actually go out and, and, and rent one, even though I was well aware of them. I was at the video store practically every other day, so I certainly saw them all on the shelves, on the, on the new release shelf. And every now and then, I'd pick something up, but usually it would be, I would be watching it, uh, I would, I would be watching it on like HBO or Cinemax. It took me a while to realize that there actually was a direct-to-video market because with the video store, if I hadn't seen it, chances are I was going to rent it, especially in the horror and sci-fi sections. Same thing with, because my parents actually, instead of giving me an allowance, they let me have all the movie channels. Actually, yeah, to elaborate on that, when it came to like the horror, the direct-to-video horror movies of the 80s, those I rented a lot of. Those I yeah. did, ones that have been out for at, le- for at least a few years, those I did rent a lot, not really knowing if they were direct-to-video or not. It'd be like, okay, well, that looks kind of fun. Let me rent that. But in terms of ones that were like kind of on the new release shelves, the ones that you would see like late at night on Cinemax, you, those I typically didn't rent. Those I pretty much just watched on TV. I didn't really care how it was distributed. It was just the fact that it existed. Same here. I I agree with that. Yeah. But, but but to counter that, and I don't disagree with it, either of you. To counter that, you could always tell the difference to me. And like I said, I'm a little bit older, so I encountered these at a at a different age than you guys did. You would notice the production values weren't as good. The supporting cast in like a theatrical movie is usually oh that guy, oh that guy, oh that guy. Supporting cast in a direct-to-video movie is usually. I've never seen that guy before, never seen that guy before, never seen that guy before. And you could always just kind of tell the way that they were shot. A direct-to-video movie, on average, I'm talking the 80s era, was not shot the same as a theatrical. For me, that that depends on the genre, because I'd seen some slasher movies of that time that were direct-to-video, and some of them, not all of them, but but some of them would look no different than some of the ones that were out in theaters. Again, it all depends on the genre. Like, if we're talking about an erotic thriller or something like that, yeah, you can clearly tell the difference between one that's bigger budgeted and theatrical and one that, like, oh, hey, what's Shannon Tweed doing to Andrew Stevens this week, you know? But then you also had the the franchises. Like, we talked in a really early episode, Brad, about franchises that went on longer than we ever knew that there were more movies yeah. for. That's what direct-to-video was for, because, I mean, Children of the Corn was theatrical. I think the second one was. Maybe the third one after that, all direct-to-video. Yeah, it was from the third one after, because I remember arguing with my parents to see the second one in theaters. Okay, I couldn't. I I saw all of them on video, so I I wasn't sure Uh about that. But but like like the Scanners sequels, Scanners 2 and up were all direct-to-video. You had whole franchises that were built on direct-to-video, like... Silent Night, Deadly Night. One and two yeah. were theatrical. Three, four, and five were direct-to-video. Puppet Master. When did that start going direct-to-video? I think that was direct-to-video the whole time. Yeah, but the, any of the well, Charles Band stuff the, after Empire. I thought the first one was theatrical. It was it? Perhaps, because I know after Empire folded, Charles Band basically, him and Lloyd Kaufman did at the same time, they saw that video was an absolutely viable format, and they both said, I'm going to cater to this new 
audience. And they yeah. both had major hits. Maybe the first Puppet Master, but definitely the rest were all were all direct to video. Yeah. Along with like, I mean, like Trancers was the first one was theatrical, but that was also in the Empire days, so he still had a theatrical distribution wing at that point. Like Ghoulies Two, I don't uh, think that ever got a theatrical release, did it? If it did, then I don't freaking remember. Because I remember that. I just all the commercials on Headbangers Ball because the band Wasp does this, the theme song on this out on video this week or and whatnot. I remember all those commercials and I don't ever remember seeing a theatrical trailer. How about all those sequels to The Substitute? Was the second one theatrical for that? No, no. The second one, I remember. It seems like there was when the second one was announced, like. I don't know if it was ever intended to be theatrical, but when it was announced, they didn't specify it was going to be direct-to-video. Like, because I remember the first time I read about the second one, and it came across to me like it it was going to be theatrical, but then it, I, I watched it when it premiered on HBO or one of those channels, and in no way, shape, or form does that look like a theatrical film, or like oh, it was oh. ever, or like if it was ever even intended to be. Well, and then we do need to define the term theatrical versus direct-to-video because uh-huh. some of these did get limited theatrical releases as part of their contract, usually New York and L.A. Yeah. For example, Phantasm IV, Oblivion. It was theatrically released in basically New York and L.A. only. For the majority of the country, that was a direct-to-video movie. Yeah. So, so in some cases, these terms are a tad fuzzy. But I think you guys see what I mean when direct-to-video, if most of us did not even get it within 300 miles of our town, probably was a direct-to-video film. Or like something that was maybe theatrical, like in another country, but was direct-to-video here, or vice versa. Such as that 1998 Seagal's The Patriot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everywhere but here. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of movies that, that are intended to be direct to video, but they'll release it in like one theater for SAG reasons to say yeah, that it had yeah, there's a, usually a, a contractual obligation to have a little like a the the biggest money loser of all time, Zizak's Road. That yeah, Catherine it opened Michael, Tom Sizemore movie. They uh-huh. were contractually obligated to release it theatrically, so they released it to six theaters nationwide. Wow, they sold. They sold two tickets, and one of those they had to comp back the money because it was one of the the production staff. Yeah, and and that's was, like a four million dollar movie. It's the biggest money loser of all time. Have any well, of you actually a, a, actually seen it? Nah, the trailer was enough to make me go. I just don't have any interest in this. I I I, actually, I, I, I didn't see it either. I, I never saw it. It just it doesn't look like a good movie. Really, the trailer does not sell me on this film. I've had it on my hard drive out of curiosity, but I have not actually watched it yet. Because I remember reading about it, and nothing about it really seemed all that interesting, so I never really seeked it out. Now, let's go back a little bit and describe what started direct-to-video. And just like, like most technological advances, it was started for pornography reasons. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm serious. After oh, I believe you. I believe you. After 42nd Street started getting shut down and they started gentrifying the area and the porno theaters started, you know, getting bumped out of smaller towns due to tax reasons and things like that, the porno industry needed an outlet. So yeah. they started releasing their movies that used to be for limited theatrical release 
They released direct-to-video, and the sales were amazing. Well, because people want to jerk off at home instead of in public and risk getting in trouble. Instead of in a theater. Tell that to (laughs) Amy Herman. (laughs) uh, Who did that happen? Who did that happen to recently? Uh, uh, what's Fred, his name? Fred Willard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I remember that, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know they totally... still had those where you could go jerk off in the theater. And he was totally honest about it, too, when he was interviewed. He's like, yeah, I went there, and this movie was on, and it was a porno, so I decided to whip it out. Yeah, we had one in uh, Springfield. Till when? Mid-80s, maybe? I think... Uh, we at least had one when I was born because, uh, well, where do you think I was conceived? No, no, no. Exactly. Uh, no, 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 no. Like, uh, well, hell, I don't know, maybe. But uh, like, I was going to say uh, your mom and dad are going to love that. No, no, like, uh, what, no, what, it was, uh, I, I found the newspaper from the day I was born, like sometime in high school. And I looked, of course, it's me. So, of course, I go and look at the, the, uh, movie listings and, um, one of them was a uh, was for a porno theater, and it was the theater's not. So at some point, I think uh, mid or late '80s, that particular theater was turned into like cheap seats, and it remained that way until like the mid '90s. Yeah, there's a place One near more me. There's yeah. a place near me that used to be a porn theater, but now is a Christian bookstore. <laughs> we have the irony uh, of that. We have a theater in town. We did have a theater in town back in like the 70s uh, and uh, early 80s that I I don't think it was necessarily a porn theater, but when they closed it, they turned it into a strip club. And it's still there. Strip club's still there. Good. What I liked about reading old newspaper listings for porn theaters because it would be like, okay, at night they're showing, you know, these porn movies. But during the day, they're showing like Oh, for a dollar, all these cartoons and snacks for the kids. So when direct-to-video popped up, you had entrepreneurs and, you know, these guys were real visionaries, no matter what people think of them today, like Charles Band and Lloyd Kaufman, that saw a market that wasn't being catered to. Yeah. Because the, the big studios didn't want to release their movies to video, like Universal, Paramount, Warner Brothers, etc., because they thought it would hurt the TV sales, which was still a hugely viable market for them. You had VCRs coming down in price. You had people wanting to rent stuff, but you basically just had the 70s exploitation stuff. You didn't have new movies coming out to video because of the studio lockout. Yeah. So you had Lloyd Kaufman and Charles Band and other entrepreneurs that went, I'm going to cater directly to Uh that video market. Yeah. And they were that was a genius move on their part. Well, one of the things I was reading about that really started the direct video market were special interest videos that were called non theatrical releases that were um basically like workout videos, cooking videos. That those started selling really well, so people are like, Hey, people will buy stuff that's only available on video instead of going to a theater. I remember those. That that's actually a future topic. All those weird one-off videos of hard and heavy and the the weird documentary tapes and all the UFO conspiracy tapes. Linnea Quigley's horror, horror workout. workout. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's getting a DVD release. Is it Videos? really? I, got yeah, it. I saw an announcement for that on, I think it was her website. They're actually oh, putting that's it great. out on DVD. That's Videos great. I got it. 
I got a bootleg of it in the other room. So do I. I I've got that as well. Yeah. Videos with ultra right wing Christians telling you that children's toys are the devil. <laughs> no, that was TV. Deception that of the Generation aired on TV first. That reminds me, I still have to watch the second half of that. <laughs> it's actually worse than you think. But oh God, <laughs> it, it, you're not going to have nearly as much fun with it. But... I fa- I found what both of those guys look like nowadays, and they both look terrifying. <laughs> I think you posted a picture of one of them. I posted a picture of the of the Gabe Kaplan looking dude, but freaking Richie Rich, he looks like a he look I, I, I he looks like the worst Elvis impersonator ever now who like probably does questionable things in his free time. Well, they probably. didn't look very friendly in 1980. Oh, it, it's worse now, trust me. Direct to video like, like all three of us have already said in this episode, we rented this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. I remember looking out for all this direct-to-video stuff. I remember movies like, do you remember Dark Side of the Moon? Not the Pink Floyd album, the, the horror movie. This is Space Corps 1. Come in, Houston. Far into the next century, mankind has achieved startling advances in the race to conquer space. But though many questions have been answered... Something's out there. It's coming right at us. There's a NASA flight crew on the ship. NASA has been flying for 30 years. One of the world's most puzzling phenomenons... The ship was registered lost after an emergency splashdown. 126 miles from the Florida coast. Bermuda Triangle. Remains a dark and sinister mystery. Is there any logical explanation for Discovery's disappearance into the Bermuda Triangle? And for travelers on a top-secret mission into the darkest reaches of outer space. We're drifting towards Centrist B-40, the dark side of the moon. The mystery is about to be revealed. The day of reckoning is upon you all. What was it? We're not going back on that ship. We impact in 13 hours. What's happening? What the hell's happening? You let it out, didn't you? I control your destiny, and I will take what is mine. It's a perfect triangle. The mark of the beast. Who the hell are you? Either he gets us, or we get him. You belong to me now. And I'll see you in hell. The dark side of the moon. Once you've arrived, there's no turning back. On video cassette. From Vidmark Entertainment. Yeah. I remember that, just loving the hell out of that movie. And then going, why didn't something like this get a theatrical release while, you know, some piece of garbage Slumber Party Massacre 3 does? Slumber Party Massacre 3 got a theatrical? Yes. All three, oh, all wow. three slumber parties were theatrical. Well, the the first two I, I knew, but the third one, that doesn't even look like a theatrical film. No, that, that's when Corman was pulling out all the budgets, and he just kind of just put it out. And, and then speaking of that, you had Corman really stepping up the game with, with things like Creepazoids and movies like that, Sorority Babes and the Slimeball, Bolarama. Those yeah. types of movies... They made video is what made movie stars out of Brink Stevens and Michelle Bauer and Linnea Quigley and Shannon Tweed and Andrew Shit. Stevens. Those people would not be even known even to people like us if it were not for direct to video. 
Mm-hmm. And directors like David Dakota, since both the movies you mentioned, Creepazoids and Sorority Babes, were from David Dakota. Right, oh, yeah. and Malia Quigley's in both. And he is huge on direct-to-video, direct-to-streaming markets these days. Throw in the Fred Olin Rays and those yep. guys. Yeah, the, you got the Fred Olin Rays, you know, with one of what I think is one of the best movie titles of all time, Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. Yeah. How the hell do you not rent that? In the distant future, there will still be slaves, helpless against the desires of their masters. Keep your hands off me. At the mercy of their every whim and perversion. Bound to their masters by chains and subjected to every humiliation and cruelty. They want more than their freedom now. They want revenge. Feels good to be back in the saddle again. Engine's hot. Fancy driving gate. It's a big movie with big adventure, big action. Have you got a knife? Only this. It'll have to do. Big robots, big romance. (laughs) Big production and big girls. I intend to hunt you. Slave girls from beyond infinity. They're for sale, but they could cost you your life. Beyond Infinity. Yeah. Oh, and you've got Fred Olin Ray's son, Christopher, doing movies for the asylum, like Two-Headed Shark oh. Attack. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it just, to me, direct-to-video used to be, you know, I, I, I talked to the friends of mine that used to work at, like, K&B and stuff like that, and they said, Yes, you could tell the difference when K&B got a contract for a direct-to-video movie versus a theatrical. Obviously, the effects are going to suffer somewhat. Yeah. But they said when they would get the expense reports, because usually the deal was they'd get paid up front, and then they would get a cut of sales, so they would get the expense reports. These movies that we all think of as goofy schlock, these things sold like crazy. And I'm not talking rent. I'm Uh talking sale because... You got to remember when when video stores started up. You, you remember the difference between seeing a movie you couldn't buy that was like eighty dollars, Brad? You remember that? Oh yeah, some of the big boxes I got in there have a little price on the back of them that are like seventy, eighty bucks. Yeah. Oh, and, and, everything and then, and then you, from. And then you had the the ones like Band who said, you know what? I'm gonna put this out and you can own it for uh-huh. fifteen goddamn dollars. And again, that was a genius move for the time. 
Because uh-huh. they moved so many units. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, like everything from Russ Meyer was $80 a copy on video. It took me months to get a collection of his stuff. When did, uh, now when did the, the, uh, whole shot on video part of it come into play? That was always kind of there because you had that almost right from the beginning. The big, because I think the earliest one that I've, and I'm positive there's ones that are earlier, but off the top, off the top of my head, Black Devil Doll from Hell, that was, uh, 84, I believe. I, th- I think there was one prior to that, like Camp Campout Massacre or something. I've never seen the movie, but I've seen the video box. I think that was like 82. Oh, wow. I might be wrong. on. The, I can't remember the title off the top of my... Did, did you ever come across a lot of them uh, at your video stores? The shot on videos, not as much. My video stores really... I don't know if it's a contractual thing or a distribution thing. They they really loved what I know is kind of an oxymoron in terms, but the high end direct to video. Yeah. You know. No, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, the the Death Stalker sequels, uh-huh. things like uh, like one of the big ones was Vidmark Entertainment. Yeah. Vidmark put out so much great direct to video horror and sci fi movies. I loved the stuff that they put out. Then they got bought and became Trimark, and they started getting into theatrical. As much as you know, you and I argue about Tarantino and that, Pulp Fiction ushered in a new era of direct-to-video with all of... Basically, Tarantino did revitalize the independent film of non-horror or sci-fi. Uh-huh. Remember that deluge we had of direct-to-video crime thrillers that came out just oh, Pulp Fiction? Oh, oh God, that, yeah. God, that still yeah. goes on, even. Yeah, it, it still goes. It still goes on to this day. But yeah, back when when Pulp Fiction came out, and I mean, and not, and a lot of them too were direct. At least a lot of the ones that I'm remembering were they were direct to video here, but in other countries, some of them actually were theatrical. Even in some parts of this country, some of them were theatrical. But usually, a lot of them I didn't come across until I just saw it. I, until I just saw it on the the freaking shelves, and a lot of them I would rent because they would make them look cool by the box by the box art. A lot of them weren't. And in terms of the uh, the actual shot on video ones, I think maybe once or twice I had come across some of those. And again, you don't you don't know that it's like at least the ones a couple of the ones I came across back then. You didn't know that they were like that until you'd rent it, take it home and, and watch it. And and of course of course now I have a place in my heart form. Of course I'm I've made a few of my own. But uh Yeah, at the time you're a little disappointed, you know, when you saw it was shot on videotape, you went, Oh Yeah. I would still watch them. I would I would still watch them. But I, I was I was I was really, really young back then. Now, nowadays there's there's certainly a place in my heart for those. But back then not really. <laughs> And after Pulp Fiction, there was they remarketed a lot of direct-to-video movies that had people from Pulp Fiction. Because I remember renting a few things that said, like, Eric Stoltz from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and even uh, some – right after Pulp Fiction, there was that Travolta movie that I think might have been made before Pulp Fiction. I'm not sure, but it was uh, White Man's Burden with him and oh. – 
Remember that with him and Harry yes. Belafonte? Yeah, that that was I, theatrical though. That, uh, yeah, no, I watched I'm not, that I'm not in say, theaters. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it was direct to video. It, it did come to theaters here. What I'm saying, like after Pulp Fiction, like that got like a, a slightly wider release than I think it was freaking intended to. Like, because that I I might be wrong, but I think that that was intended for a much smaller, maybe even direct to video release. I don't know, but after Pulp Fiction, it they advertised it slightly more. Definitely, because I watched that in theaters and even felt at the time, I'm like, why was this in theaters? Yeah. It's basically a two-hour-long Twilight Zone episode is really what it comes down to. That's exactly what it was. Like, I don't remember... I don't remember really disliking it at the time, but to me, to me, it was more of a missed opportunity. There was a great premise, but the script was not very good. Yeah, the script was basically just a kidnapping movie, really, that just had these racial undertones to them. I remember not really disliking it necessarily. I don't. I, I don't think I really liked it. But I, as far as d- disliking, I don't know. But like, it, but I remember being like, this really seems like it was. It should have been direct to video. Well, and, and then there are other ones that, like, like Best of the Best Two. It was theatrical. I don't recall seeing a single trailer, a single TV spot. I didn't even hear about it about Best of the Best Two until I saw a commercial for the video. So as far as I'm concerned, to me, best uh, of the best, two, three, and four are all direct-to-video. What about, when did, did now, was uh, Kickboxer 2 direct-to-video? Uh, and like, and like Bloodsport 2? I think, I think all the, I think almost all the Van Damme sequels, whether he was in them or not, were direct-to-video. Like, I, I know all the Universal Soldier sequels were direct-to-video. Oh, oh yeah, that that I knew. That that I knew. Uh, I'm but, not sure about the Kickboxer or Bloodsport sequels. And then when it got into, like, Kickboxer 3, like, I, I put money on it that that was direct-to-video. But 2, I don't know. Like, if it went theatrical around here, then I didn't freaking notice. Well, and, and then staying in that vein, you've got, like, like the canon stuff when when they were going bankrupt. Remember seeing all the theatrical posters for Captain America? Yeah, all the way yeah. back into 1989, and then it wouldn't come out until 1990, direct to video. Uh-huh. And you kind of went, "What? What happened?" Yeah, well, I, yeah, I saw yeah. the trailer before a movie in the theater, and then it just it just was quietly released to videotape. Uh-huh. Oh, you'd see that a lot though. You'd see a trailer for something that would end up being direct to video. Like a few Van Dams that were like that, because I would rent movies that'd be they'd advertise a Van Dam film and they'd say in theater soon. I I remember there was a couple movies around here that went direct to the cheap theater, like direct to the the theater. They were like, okay, this movie's been out for a month. All right, let's move it over to the ninety nine cent theater. There was a turbulence with Ray Liotta. Oh god, oh, that was a horrible movie. Yeah, that premiered at the cheap seats here in town. D- d- was the sequel to that a theatrical or a direct to video? Uh it it didn't go to theaters here. I, I, I can't remember if that was intended for theatrical release or not. There's three Turbulence of- 2 Heavy Metal was the t- the title. There's there's th- there's three of them. Oh, I, I didn't know they had a third one. Yeah, in but fact you- I think, in fact, I think heavy metal was the third one. Oh, maybe. I think, I think the the metal one about the hard rock and ghost or whatever. I think, I think that was the third one. 
Okay. Wait, it, they started adding a ghost to it? Yeah, yeah. It became haunted and shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, like, well, speaking of that, one series that I remember that was always direct-to-video and always meant to be, and to me, to find everything that was both perfect of direct-to-video and everything wrong with direct-to-video... And that is the Witchcraft series. <laughs> you knew I, knew I had to go there eventually, Brad. I, I knew you were going to say that, yeah. <laughs> because to me, those exemplified for each of their eras exactly what a direct-to-video movie should be, but they were also god-awful movies. So I don't know, is it a good is the Witchcraft movies bane or a boon for direct-to-video? Uh I don't think it ruined anything. I mean, I I don't think it ruined the medium of direct-to-video films or anything like that, but it is certainly it's certainly a prototype of what you think of in your head when you think of like long freaking series of direct-to-video movies. That's like freaking king right there. Exactly. And then and then you had like like I brought up before like the Scanners sequels. Yeah. And then even they couldn't stay consistent. Because do you remember Scanners 4 was originally meant to be Scanners 4? Uh-huh. In the original ads. And then it came out as Scanner Cop. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I guess technically Scanners 5 was Scanner Cop 2. Mm-hmm. So are the Scanner Cop movies part of the Scanners franchise or are they a spinoff franchise? <laughs> you know, because, I mean, they're in the same universe, but they got different titles with all different characters and different plots. I don't when know did... where the Scanner Cop movies fit into that franchise. When did that start? Like, a movie that wasn't even meant to be a sequel to something. Like, okay, like that freaking movie that uh, was filmed as The Velvet Side of Hell but was released on DVD as 8mm 2. I watched that Alex, last week. Alex just reviewed that. Yeah, that oh, movie was awful. It. I didn't even bother. Like, as soon as I saw, like, like it's not even about snuff films. I'm not no. watching. It's like, about yeah. rich people being blackmailed over a fake sex video. It was terrible. Yeah, I just read the box on it. It was like, <laughs> this isn't even, like, how did... It's not even about the same thing as the freaking first one. I'm not watching this. Well, you get that sometimes. Like, do you remember the Extro movies? Uh-huh. Extro 1 and 2, okay, are connected. Extro 2 is a sequel to Extro. Yeah. Extro 3, Watch the Skies, has nothing whatsoever to do with them. has a totally different alien because mm-hmm. it was shot as a movie just called Watch the Skies. And then the distribution company said, hey, we have the rights to this Extro title. Let's just throw that on there. Yeah, it's yeah, just slap, slap extra three on there. Yeah. You have a lot of these movies that are just, well, let's slap on the name of a, another recognizable title yeah. to something that has nothing to do with it. But then it gets a theatrical release, like Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia. That, which I was is the dumbest gonna, title I've ever heard. I was just going to say, like, that one, I was amazed is theatrical. <laughs> as soon as I heard about that, I... I, I, I would have made a bet that that was going to be freaking direct to DVD. And I was pro- I judging from just the way the trailer looks, it was clearly shot as a direct to DVD. Somehow it got theatrical. Like Yeah, it looks like the most generic movie ever. And huh? the title is so stupid. How is it a haunting in Connecticut to if they're the ghosts of Georgia? Does it even have any of the same characters from the first one in it? No. It doesn't? Okay. I, I'm Honestly, I, I never even saw the first one. I'm going to bet it was shot as a movie called The Ghosts of Georgia, 
and they just yeah. slapped the Haunting in Connecticut 2 on it. Um, <laughs> that, that's my bet. And it's not I, like that was a huge recognizable brand to begin with anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like, was it even that huge of a hit? I mean, it must have, I mean, it must have made its money back, obviously. At least that. I mean, they, they would have had better luck releasing it as Amityville Horror 2. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that, the Amityville yeah, Horror you... franchise. Yeah. And, and that even got so bad that the last two Amityville Horror movies weren't even direct-to-video. They were Fox Night at the Movies premieres. Which one was the one about the clock? Because I watched that one. 19, like... 1992. It's about time. Yeah, I watched and, that one on cable. Uh, Brad, you want to know something kind of funny? Hank Carlson, the, the guy that did the effects for the cinema, cinema snob movie? Did he do Amityville 1992? Yeah, he, he, he built that demonic clock. He still has parts of it in his basement. Oh really? That's 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 really pretty cool. He, he also that's built, awesome. He also yeah. built the cursed lamp in uh, which which one was the one with the cursed lamp? Whichever one had the cursed lamp, he built that too. That was uh four, wasn't it? The one with Patty Duke. That's why I can't remember because ah, uh, those all those Amityville movies blended together after a while. I they weren't even think... about the house anymore. It was just like oh, Objects we found something. From the house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it yeah. was the 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 last two were Fox TV movies. Because at one point, Fox decided to do that. Like, uh, uh, Omen 4 was a Fox Night at the Movies as well. That wasn't even direct-to-video. That was direct-to-goddamn broadcast TV. Doesn't Asylum have an, uh, have an Amityville movie? An Amityville haunting. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Because isn't, like, anyone, since it's just the name of a town, anyone can, like, legally make a movie and just slap Amityville on it. Yeah, yeah. They, they, well, they heck, can't copyright that. Asylum yeah. even had their own Haunting in Connecticut tie-in with Haunting in Salem. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember, yeah, when I worked at the video store, we had that. Direct-to-video, like I said, it used to be a very viable, viable market for a movie. If you could not get a theatrical release, you would definitely make back your money on video sales. Obviously, the internet has changed that greatly. And now you see movies being released directly to Netflix, directly to streaming. I mean, yeah. hell, there was a Twilight ripoff released last year called I Kissed a Vampire, and I can't fault them for knowing their audience, was released directly to iTunes. And you've got movies being debuting on Comcast, on like on demand, uh, video on demand. Things yeah. like that. I mean, the yeah. direct-to-video market is very much still there. Uh, it definitely is. Uh, in fact, because because of the internet and people can self-distribute and stuff like that, their own DVDs like we did with the Snob movie and like some, some other people do with their movies, there's probably freaking more of them now. It's, 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 an easy, it's certainly an easy route to go, but like you just said, there's plenty of other options too whether you want to stream it whether you want it to debut on freaking on demand or whatever when i interviewed ted newsome he used to work for canon and he used to work with dave dakota and all that and he he said you can't make a half million dollar movie anymore and distribute it the, the direct-to-video market for anything over 200 250 film you cannot make your money the you only way the only back. way to streaming will make your money anymore is if your budget is under two hundred thousand mm. dollars. Otherwise, you... you will not sell enough copies to actually make a profit. That's or if you have enough people watching it. 
yeah. there's the word of mouth ways to sell it because I get a lot of emails on Geekers all the time of people that are like, "We just released our movie on demand. Will you review it?" How much does a typical asylum movie cost? Less than a million. That's what yeah. David Michael Latt says. He's like, every movie is less than a million. They look like a lot less than less than a million. <laughs> I mean, that that crappy movie I worked on, Project Solitude, that Eric Roberts one, that had a $1.4 million budget, and that doesn't look like a million dollars, and it looks way, way better than an Asylum film does. If, I ha- if you had asked me a couple of years ago, or if we had this conversation a couple of years ago, I would have said what you just said, but but having done the snob movie and even paranoia, I mean, costs rake up fast on 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 things like that. Like if you had told me a, a few years ago that the snob movie would have cost as much as it did, I don't know if I would have believed it. I would I would have at least been surprised. But costs ra- rack up like that, so it doesn't surprise me that that would be about the budget for an asylum movie. Because the way I look at it, and I know I'm, we're dealing with different different economics here, so if you do the inflation math, you know, Corman used to be able to make a movie that looks great, like Galaxy of Terror or Forbidden yeah. World or even Piranha. He'd be able to do that for $150,000. Yeah. Even adjusting for inflation, that's still under half a million bucks. So yeah. I don't see how the Asylum can spend almost a million bucks and look than a 1982 movie because, that had a tenth of their budget. Because CGI effects look shittier. But you you get my it, point, right? The thing with a lot of direct-to-video, though, they're not meant to be watched. They're just meant to be rented. It's it's not really about the product. It's about did somebody give us money for it? Well, it depends on it depends on what what filmmaker we're talking about. A yeah, lot, it does depend. Yeah, uh, certainly there's a lot of a lot of them who are like that. A lot of companies that are like that, you know, that that were that were back in the day. But but then you would have you'd have uh, you know a Lloyd Kaufman who genuinely wanted to make a good entertaining flick. So where do you do you see direct to video dying? Do you think streaming is going to kill direct to video at least the way we're defining the term? I mean, obviously, direct-to-video, direct-to-streaming, direct-to-iTunes, it's still technically the same thing. But I, both of you are the same as me when it comes to collecting. I know, uh-huh. Brad, you'd rather own a DVD of a movie than watch it on Netflix, correct? I, yeah, I'm I'm never, never going to watch a movie on like iTunes or something like that. And I think there's plenty of people who are still going to be like that. Now, like what you just said, though, it's it, – it, it's, the downside of there being so many options like that, what you just said, is that the budget for direct-to-video movies are just going to keep getting lower and lower and lower and lower over time. But I don't know if direct-to-video in and of itself will ever will ever go away. I I, I can't I can't really see that happening. But hey, you know, as long as we got rid of those damn like freaking Disney sequels that they were doing, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't think those were those were sequels. Those were cheapwells. Cheapquels, yes. Cheapquels. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, Ooh, Lady and the Tramp Four. Then what? What do you guys see when you see these these cheap direct-to-video movies? Do you think they take away from the real? And I'm using that term in quotes. The real direct-to-video movies like the ones like even like 
like like Kaufman's doing with shooting a movie actually on 35 millimeter. Do you think digital has sort of, and I know I'm going to take so much crap for this, but I think digital has ghettoed up the medium of direct to video. Yeah. You're going to get crap for that because I, I totally disagree with you. Well, uh, I think like with digital, I think that digital should be available for people who have no other option like me. Like, I have no other option than to shoot on digital. Would I prefer to shoot on film? Oh my god, yes I would. Believe me, I would. But I can't. But people like me, people who work in the budgets that I do, they they just can't. So digital serves a purpose in that sense. But what, what I have a problem with is when you do have the means to make it look better than digital is when you do have the means to use a practical effect. Well, well, I mean, hell, even I have the means to shoot a practical effect, but, but when you do have the means to actually make your movie look better, give, you know, have it be shot on film and stuff like that. And you don't, and you still go that route that makes it look just cheaper and not as good. Then I think that's a problem, but I am I am glad that digital exists because I wouldn't be able to do any of the things I do without it. And that's okay, and exactly why I'm completely for digital because there are quality filmmakers out there that can tell good stories and make a good movie. They they just yeah. don't have the resources to. But then there are so also the people that make Showgirls two with a with literally a Walmart camera and they use the shotgun mic for the audio. That yeah, but I still bought Showgirls too. Regardless of the medium, whether film or digital, or the distribution, whether direct TV or theatrical, there's going to be crap, and there's going to be good movies, and the good ones are going to be the ones that rise to the top, the ones that people talk about and recommend and watch, versus the crappy ones that nobody's going to rent, and nobody's going to watch. Yeah, but but to me, there is sort of a a snobbery involved in the entire viewing of direct to video. I read so many reviews of direct-to-video movies, whether they be sequels or originals, good or bad. The reviewer will go in and going, this was a direct-to-video movie, so I wasn't expecting much. To me, that's what the medium, a movie like, like Showgirls 2, in that they brought the medium to the point where when a good one does show up, it's that much more of a surprise because it's like climbing a huge mountain of shit to get to that single rose and then finding out once you get there that you've lost the sense of smell. Yeah, yeah, but there's there's all but I think that's always been the case. Even back when I was younger, even in the late 80s, early 90s, if I came across a really really damn good directive video, okay, well, maybe not me personally because a lot of them I genuinely liked, but there were reviews like that back then too of people saying I'm surprised this was good because it's directive video. Yeah, and like me, something like had... Showgirls 2, you go into that expecting crap simply because it's called Showgirls 2, not because it's direct-to-video. All those kind of movies, they give the entire genre, if you will, a bad reputation the way that... And Brad, you know I like these movies on a certain level, but on a technical level, they're terrible. Like the Chester novel Turner movies did for shot on video. They uh-huh. were some of the worst examples of how to make a shot on video movie because say what you will about the violent shit movies, they're not badly made. The effects are great. Yeah, that's effects, what I mean. Yeah, the and, effects are absolutely fantastic. But there's always going to be a bad example of something like that. There's always going to be 
a Black Devil doll from hell, a uh, a Showgirls 2. There's always going to have that, you know? Yeah. Direct to video. It's obviously changed a lot since it first became a viable option in the early to mid-80s. Do you think it's gotten better or worse? And I'm not talking about the movies. I mean the market. Do you think that direct-to-video, and we're including now streaming and whatnot, do you think that really does open it up more than it did, say, in 1984, when you could release just about anything to video and move enough units to to make a profit? I, I don't know because, I mean, I'm... I don't know. I, I'm biased because of the... Because of how things are now, I'm able to put out my own movies, whereas back in the day, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I'm a li- I'm probably the wrong person to ask. No, that's that an endeavor. honest answer. Yeah. No, because th- that's the kind of answer... I'm looking for an honest answer from you, Brad, and that's what that was. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm very, very biased when it comes to that. So I, I honestly, I don't know. My big thing is, if it exists, I'll, I'll watch it, regardless of the medium. I do a lot of the streaming services for the sake of being able to watch the movie. If it's good and I want to see features, I'll, I'll definitely seek out the DVD. But with the streaming services becoming the new direct-to-video, I am totally okay with it. In fact, it makes it much easier than having to go out and rent the DVD. Lazy ass. Direct-to-video, for those of you who were too young to have experienced the what I'm going to call the heyday that Brad and Alex and I experienced when during the VHS direct-to-video days, I think you were actually missing out on something. On the other hand, you can get most of those on DVD nowadays. Although that's the other cool thing about direct-to-video from our era, guys. Mm-hmm. A lot of those movies still don't have DVD releases, so you still got to find an old VHS tape for some of these. I'm down with that. <laughs> there are still some of these where you're going to have to go track down some obscure-ass VHS tape to be able uh-huh. to watch some movie that's in rights hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where can we find Brad Jones? Is he going direct to video? <laughs> always, always direct to video. TheCinemaSnob.com. Where can we find the Marquis de Suede? GeekJuiceMedia.com. And right now my website's still down, so you can find me at GeekJuiceMedia.com. You can find these shows, of course, at TheCinemaSnob.com. And you can reach the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. We're going to direct to video, bitches! Let's <laughs> go.
Enjoy it while you can. It's just like the weather. So quit.